This is not a classroom, and it's not a graphics house. It's an accounting firm, Pete Marwick. And everywhere you look, there are Macintosh computers. The Mac has come a long way, baby, from cute little student box to serious business computer. Today, we take a look at the evolution of the Macintosh from the classroom to the boardroom on this edition of the Computer Chronicles. Computer Chronicles is made possible in part by CompuServe, featuring an online reference library, Wall Street reports, at-home shopping, airline reservations, games, and hundreds of other services. CompuServe, helping people get the most from computers. Additional funding is provided by McGraw-Hill, publishers of Byte. Byte's detailed technical articles on new hardware, software, and languages cover developments in computer technology worldwide. Welcome to the Computer Chronicles. I'm Stuart Chiffet, and this is Gary Kildall. Gary, the little Macintosh kind of snuck into the business world <laughs> through things like Ready, Set, Go, Desktop Publishing, but all of a sudden people seem to be taking the Mac seriously for a variety of business applications. Why the sudden change? What happened? Well, Stuart, when the Mac was first introduced, they had two serious deficiencies. It was diskette-based, didn't have a hard disk yeah. as an option, and very small memory system. So as a result, you really couldn't do a serious business application. But it did have high-resolution graphics, and that meant desktop publishing. Right. That's the way they got in the door to begin with. Now, the serious deficiencies have been taken care of. You can buy a Mac now with a hard disk mm -hmm. as an option. You can go up two megabytes from where main memory. And so as a result, the applications for business applications are, are filling in, and the Mac becomes a serious contender. Gary, we're going to take a look at some of the best-selling business software packages for the Macintosh today, programs like Fourth Dimension, Right Now, VideoWorks, and MultiFinder. Now, we found a law firm in San Francisco that uses Macintosh computers to run their entire business, especially a very nice-looking spreadsheet program for the Mac called Trapeze. Here's a report. The Apple Macintosh, still working hard to make its mark in the office, is beginning to get some serious attention among business users. At the law firm of Williams and Martinet in San Francisco, the Mac is the instrument of choice for everything from basic accounting to court documents. Uh, I, th I think probably the, the basic reason was because it had graphics capability that IBM didn't currently have. We could have used IBM for word processing and a lot of our documentation, but the Macintosh allowed us to put the Judicial Council forms directly in the computer, put the letterhead in the computer, put the pleading lines and everything in, and uh, just minimize the problems that normally occur. A software package called Trapeze provides the building blocks for many applications, including spreadsheet functions, client history, and billing. Trapeze also tracks the amount of time that each attorney spends per client and each employee's productivity. The practice of law is beset with legal forms, which must be duplicated precisely to be accepted by the courts. In the past, this meant unreliable photocopies, which were then filled in by typewriter. Now, the firm uses a scanner and a program called TrueForm to enter and store originals, later filled in with a typewriter-like font on the laser printer. In another departure from the physical handling of paperwork, attorneys working out of town can receive documents by modem. We use our 
uh, modem in this office, and we normally use a copy facility that has a laser printer, and we send it by modem to that facility. They then are able to print out the original document for the attorney that's in Los Angeles or San Diego or wherever it is in Southern California. McIntoshes have opened up new areas of business for Williams and Martinet, like direct mail advertising. In preparing a simple will, for example, attorneys can take information by telephone and enter it directly into a program called LegalWare, which produces the completed will. I think we were basically lucky. We were in a position without any IBMs whatsoever. And when a refreshing idea was presented, and a creative idea, um, and after we had done the research on it, it looks lo looked like it was a viable alternative. Joining us in the studio now is Heidi Roizen. Heidi's president of Tea Maker Company, and they're the company that makes the product called Right Now. Gary? Stuart, in this show, we're going to talk about the big four applications the spreadsheets, word processors, database, and graphics. Right. And uh, Heidi's going to show us the first part. Okay. <laughs> but I have a question to ask you first before we get going. Uh, desktop, data pr uh, desktop publishing and word processing seem to be coming together. How do you differentiate those two? Well, they do come together. I think one of the ways you can differentiate them is the degree to which graphics play a role in the underlying document you're trying to create. Okay. So we still believe that the major application lies in, in the use of words with graphics as the accessory to words. So in your case, you call a word processor because you're mostly dealing, dealing with text, but you do inter intermix some graphics occasionally. Right. We mm -hmm. really focus the attention on handling things like very large documents with multiple columns, lots of fonts, footnoting, that sort of mm -hmm. thing. We didn't really focus as much on drawing tools and those sorts of things. Okay. okay, show us right now, Heidi, and show us some of the elements you were just talking okay. about. Well, first and foremost, right now is a performance word processor that can handle multiple columns and has lots of the features that were missing in the original Macintosh word processors. Let's go immediately to show you some of the meat of the program in page setup. What I'm doing is selecting an entire one-column document and asking that it be shifted to a two-column document. You notice not only does it come back very fast, but you see it on the screen as exactly as it would appear if you sent it to a, to a printer. Again, one of the features really of right now are some desktop publishing type, Ella, the WYSIWYG approach to seeing what you're doing. Right. Here. Let me show you another one. Uh, let's select through a number of elements. I'm selecting through both some headers and some text. What I'd like to do is I'd like to change these headers so that they have an outline font instead of a normal font. I can hold down the shift key change to outline, mm -hmm. and you'll notice that only my headers changed. It didn't change the mm -hmm. rest of it. Now, luckily, there's also a very enhanced undo function. It'll undo virtually any last move. So if I decided I didn't like that, you'll notice right in my edit menu, it says undo style change, and it reselects, mm -hmm. and I pop right back. Do you have some examples of uh, graphics in this? Sure. Um, let me show you both bitmap and the um, vector graphics. Mm -hmm. Here's a bitmap of a scissors. So this would come out of uh, Mac Paint, This is a example. Mac Paint drawing. So it's a collection okay. of bits. I can enlarge it. I can treat it just like an element of text. I can uh, cut it. It's a good thing to do with scissors. <laughs> and paste it back somewhere else. So it handles it anyway, and I can always go back in and resize it down to whatever I want. You notice it treats it just as if it were a, a letter. Let's go down to the bottom of the file, and I'll show you a Mac Draw. 
image. Now when I switched from one column to two, this image was too big. It's showing it in its original size, but it's lopping off the side. One of my choices by double clicking on it is I can resize it down to the appropriate size. Now what about things like uh, you know, hyphenation and uh, uh, spelling checking? Is that the sort of standard, I guess, with all word processors nowadays? Huh? This includes a 50,000 word spelling checker okay. that's integrated in. And in fact, it's not really uh, standard with all word processors, but this one does have it. And it has a selective hyphenation, soft mm -hmm. hyphenation. You do automatic I footnoting, I think, too. Right. Let me show you one of the footnotes. Let's slip down there. You notice also the bottom mm -hmm. of a page really looks like the bottom of a page. Yeah. It's as if the desktop is <laughs> right, coming right. through. Oh, and incidentally with this, you never have to repaginate. It always knows at any time, no matter how long your document is, where you are, what page you're on, where the text should fall. This is a footnote that's being automatically placed. If I decided I need another footnote in this column, I just go up, insert a footnote, and I have a window that comes up. It shows me my first one. I'll type in another one. And when I put it away, you'll notice that both of my mm -hmm, footnotes yeah. are placed. The number is automatically placed. Heidi, thank you very much. A nice looking word yep. processor. We all know the Macintosh is well known for its graphics. With the advent of the Mac 2, there's even more graphics power you can get out of the Macintosh. Wendy Woods has a report on a new package called VideoWorks 2. This is the latest in Macintosh business applications, computer animation, in this case designed to demonstrate a new product. Animatrix of Palo Alto, California designs and produces these animated computer presentations for sales, marketing, and training. People here say animation can be an effective business tool. The key to success is when people use them and they don't crash and they keep running and people talk about them. and. Um, and learn from them and take something away from them. So I would say animation in itself is just like writing. You know, a good writer can write something beautiful and, and um, if you don't take the time to keep things, keep your user as your focal point, you don't, you don't get your message across. In this training disc, a new Apple employee learns to navigate through the jungle of phone numbers, places, and people on the job. It was made with Apple's HyperCard. Why would a company come to Animatrix for an animated computer graphics piece instead of doing it themselves? Well, the people here say that despite the fact that these programs are commercially available, you can't buy the skill and the hard work it takes to make a good presentation. Computer companies have been the first to capitalize on this new technology. But it's only a matter of time before the rest of corporate America learns the value of this new tool. In Palo Alto for the Computer Chronicles, I'm Wendy Woods. With us in the studio now is Dave Delaquilla. Dave is technical support engineer with ACS Corporation. They're the ones who make Fourth Dimension. And back with us, Heidi Roizen of TMaker. Stuart, we've seen three of the big four applications. Now we come to database systems. Uh, Dave, your system uh, is called Fourth Dimension. is a uh, claim to be an open software architecture, and you can build custom environments and so forth. Can you tell us what that means? Well, yeah. Um, actually, Gary, uh, Fourth Dimension has the ability to have external procedures written in other environments uh, act as if they were part of Fourth Dimension's own language. Fourth Dimension has its own procedural language with uh, over 200 built-in routines. 
um, but also in its power, it does allow you to create custom finished applications mm -hmm. as well as simple databases. Okay, can you show us how that works? Certainly. Um, right here we're looking at the design environment, which is one of three environments offered by Fourth Dimension. Uh, the design environment is where you create the structure and layouts and procedures for a Fourth Dimension database. What I'm going to do is create a new file and I'll do so by selecting the new file option. Now, what is it you have on the screen here so far? What is this? Uh, well, we have one point? file already, which is a developer's file. Notice it's a flat okay. file with three fields. All right. And uh, it contains information like developer name, for instance, ACS, Microsoft, etc. Uh, what I'm going to do is create a second file, which is going to be products. So I'm going to rename this second file. And we'll add some fields to it. For instance, uh, each product will have its own developer. So uh, we'll go ahead and create a new field developer and notice we can pick from eight different field types mm -hmm. as well as have several attributes for each field. I'll go ahead and accept that first field. We'll have a product name and then uh, a price and uh, which will make a real field. And finally we'll have a product type. For instance, uh, you might have a graphics package, a spreadsheet. So I want to be able to pick from a list of products. So we'll have a spreadsheet, uh, graphics, and uh, database. So these are the explicit fields, that values that you can have. Well, these would be case, values right? that we can pick from right. when we okay. tab into that mm -hmm. field. We'll sort these, indicate we can modify them, and uh, go ahead and accept it. Now we've got the four fields defined in this file. Notice we have two files. We can have a maximum of 99 files in one database. Mm -hmm. I'm going to link the developer field in the products file to the developer name in the developer's file, and that's accomplished by clicking on the field, dragging, mm -hmm. and creating a link. Now that mm -hmm. is a true that's link. Now, before we can actually enter information into the products, I'd like to create a uh, layout for this. And you'll notice that uh, we'll pick the layout option from the uh, design menu. We'll create a, uh, a new layout for the products file. And Fourth Dimension offers eight default starting points for layout design. And uh, I'm going to go ahead and pick this one. This is a starting point, which we can modify. Uh, you'll notice the developer field is uh, boldface, which means that's the linking field to the other file. We'll include uh, that in the uh, layout, as well as the developer worth, city, name, price, and type. So we'll go ahead and accept it. Fourth Dimension will automatically create the layout and generate the code necessary to link the two files together for us. Now, the layout procedure is where you can create your own custom procedures to control the program in action. You'll notice here's our list of built-in routines. And as I said before, we can add to this list of routines with our own external routines. Okay. Now, if you don't want to do any programming, you can simply close this window and, un and forget about it. The, uh, the layout editor um, allows us to uh, change the appearance of certain fields. So we'll go ahead and format the, uh, the net worth of the company and the price to be these dollar formats. And we can create our own formats as well. So I'm going to go ahead and switch to the user environment where we can actually enter information into the database. And uh, you'll notice here we're in the developer's file. So I'm going to switch files to the products file, which we just created. And you'll notice there are no records. So I'm going to enter a new record. and. Uh, the first uh, developer would be uh, ACS, and uh, notice that it automatically looks up the information in the other file for mm -hmm. us. And uh, the product was a uh, fourth dimension, and it has a list price of 695, and it's a database. So I'll just go ahead and select that. So we've entered our first record. Um, let me enter in one more record here, like for instance Microsoft, which is another record in the developer's file. And I'll enter a wildcard because I can't remember how to spell Microsoft. It looks it up for me automatically. We'll say Excel. There's another product, it's uh, 495, and it's a spreadsheet. So I'll type in S and return, and it accepts that, that option. Now, what we could do is, for instance, uh, we could uh, get an idea of the relative prices of these products by doing a quick graph. And we'll have the, develop the product name and a price 
and we can get an idea of the relative amounts. And we can pick from eight different graph types, for instance, a line chart or maybe a byte, a pie graph. And the fourth dimension does allow you to uh, uh, change the, uh, the appearance of the uh, patterns used in the graph. Sure. Mm -hmm. okay. Now, how does this lead to the custom environment? Okay. Um, as you fourth dimension is quite useful in the user environment. You can uh, do most of your queries. It has a standard search editor. Uh, but the custom environment allows you to create your own finished applications, which look very uh, similar to... So the to layout a, of the screen and everything is defined by... You can create your own menus, uh, create your own dialogues, uh, in essence control the environment that the user works in. Right. Mm -hmm. Okay, very impressive. Dave, Heidi, thanks for staying with us. Now, we're going to take a look in just a minute at the Mac's new multitasking environment called MultiFinder, so stay with us. Joining us in the studio now is Charlie Oppenheimer, Charlie's Macintosh Group product manager at Apple, and next to Charlie, Robert Wiggins, contributing business editor with Mac User Magazine and publisher of a new newsletter called the Macintosh Business Letter. Gary. Robert, um, we're going to hear about MultiFinder. That's based upon the concept of multitasking. Multitasking is something we hear more and more in the, in the business community, uh, computing community. Uh, what does multitasking really mean to the business user? Well, to the business user, it's more the opportunity for more productivity at the same time. Mm -hmm. Business users are going nuts these days about multi-user and multitasking. They want each user to be able to do more things, and they want everybody to be able to share the same things. However, of course, this is the leading edge of technology, which means it's dangerous. <laughs> Which, and business users want stability. So, you know, you go to something like MultiFinder, which some applications don't work real well with MultiFinder, mm -hmm. you run the risk of losing data. So the business user wants it, but they shouldn't go rushing into something okay. that they're not ready for. Charlie, sounds like it's your turn. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's talk about what uh, MultiFinder is. Okay. MultiFinder is the first generation multitasking operating system for the Macintosh. Importantly, it adds new functionality to the Macintosh system software base while maintaining compatibility with a large number of applications and also compatibility across the Macintosh product family, the Plus, the SC, mm -hmm. and the Mac 2. So let's take a look at, at what we've got. The MultiFinder provides three new capabilities. First is the ability to view different uh, applications at the same time and switch between them. Second, the ability to print on the laser writer in the background. Mm -hmm. And the third, we have a foundation on which developers can base new background applications, applications that can continue to run while the user goes off and works on some other task. So on the screen here, I have three applications that are already open and active. In this window over here, I have Microsoft Word. If I just click into another window, I switch. In this window, I have Versaterm Pro, a terminal emulation program, and I'm hooked up to a VAX running Unix at a remote site. Mm -hmm. In this window, I have the Mac 286 product, and I'm running MS-DOS. So if we start some work here in the uh, Versaterm Pro window, I can start a download. And we'll see that file will get started. And it turns out that Versaterm Pro is already an application that runs effectively in the background. So now if I click back into the Word uh, window, you notice that the download continues. And at this point, I can go and type whatever I want. And that's fine. Now, um, let's say that to finish my memo, what I really need to do is I need to get some data from Lotus 123. So I can go into the Mac 286 window, and let me expand this to full size so you can see exactly what I'm doing. We've got the C prompt, which intuitively suggests that I should type in something like this. And then uh, we'll start 123. And this is just an off-the-shelf copy of uh, 123. And I'll fetch a file.
And there we go. And then we can just shrink this down so we can see what else is going on. And you notice that the download is continued while I brought up one, two, three. Now, finally, to get this data into uh, my Microsoft Word document, what I can do is I can select copy, just like I do with any other Mac application like that. I go up to the Edit menu, and then uh, I do the copy. Then I go into Microsoft Word, and uh, we can just paste that in by going up to the Edit menu, and like that. And then everything's just fine as long as I change this font here back to uh, what it needs to be, which in this case is Monaco 9 point. And there you go. And the important point here is that MultiFinder is not only robust enough to go across different Mac applications, but as you can see, different operating environments. In this case, I've got MS-DOS uh, in one window, I've got Macintosh in another, and I'm running a Unix session mm -hmm. yeah. from a remote site. Yeah, Charlie, one of the things that, you know, at Digital Research, we started doing multitasking about 1982. So it's not a, it's not a new, new concept. Plug for Gary. No the, no, the reason I'm saying that is because when we first came out with those things, we discovered a lot of problems with programs that didn't interact with one another properly at the file system level. Mm -hmm. In other words, it w because there weren't proper file protection mechanisms, they end up uh, crashed and trashing one another's files. Uh, how do you handle that now? Well, you know, th this is uh, one of the reasons why I say that we're at the first generation of multitasking with, with the Macintosh. And what we've done is we've provided some very strict guidelines to developers so that in a sense what you can say is this is cooperative multitasking. You've got to be a good citizen in operating Okay, we discovered that that didn't work. <laughs> <laughs> well, so far we've had some pretty good luck with it. We have a, we've got this application here, which is... Uh, working. Yeah. I think that fourth dimension is already mm -hmm. working in the background at the same time. The finder is actually still operating mm -hmm. here also. Yeah. Robert, what's your advice to a business user who's looking at the Mac world now and looking at something like MultiFinder? I mean, how safe or risky is it in terms of your first Back comment? Up frequently. <laughs> For the most part, most like most applications are good citizens, and most business software it was written well. It's mainly games and things like that that are flaky and don't run well under MultiFinder. However, you never know when you're going to hit a certain combination of circumstances. But if you back up your, you save often, you know, save frequently and back your data up then you can go ahead and take the chance. Yeah, the important thing is that I think that you have a file, with the file locking mechanism so that you can share data between programs, and that's a thing that eventually our products evolved into. If you don't have that, even certain programs themselves can trash their own files. Yeah. You start an edit session, and you forget it's, right. uh, you've started it, and you start another one, yeah. and now these obviously use the same files. I Things tell like my that readers that MultiFinder 2.0 is going to be a lot better. <laughs> well, what what about that? What's, what's the next generation of MultiFinder? Yeah. Well, uh, Apple really doesn't uh, get into the habit of uh, plotting out what its plans are going to be uh, publicly. Uh, far in advance, but uh, as I said, this is the first uh, generation, and I think that uh, uh, people who've looked at multitasking operating systems before have a good idea of uh, the new functionality we'll be adding. Mm -hmm. Gentlemen, Charlie, Robert, thank you very much. That's it for our look at Mac Business Software. Hope we'll see you again next week on the Computer Chronicles. Random Access file this week, you may be excited about the speed of the 8386 computers, but at Intel and Microsoft, they're already working on the design of the 8586 chip. In fact, they've already finished the work on the 8486 processor. Microsoft Chairman Bill Gates says each of the next generation of chips will increase speed by a factor of three. Gates said the 586 chip will also feature multiple dispatch, the ability to execute more than one instruction at a time. Meanwhile, there are press reports about Microsoft unveiling version 3.4 of PC 
DDoS. The new DOS reportedly has a more visual interface and built-in support for extended memory. The release of PC DOS 3.4 may further cloud the operating system issue since the new features of 3.4 may make similar advantages of OS 2 less attractive for software developers. The continuing shortage of memory chips is starting to take its toll. Sun Microsystem has hiked the prices on memory add-on devices for its computers by as much as 50%. Apple earlier had boosted prices for Mac memory add-ons, and the shortage of DRAM chips and one megabyte SIMs appears to be delaying the introduction of a new enhanced Mac SE. A company named Ytech has announced a new 32-bit raster image processor chipset that it says can improve the performance of laser printers by a factor of 30. The new RISC processor can achieve throughput of 50 megabytes per second. That translates into a laser printer that can print 60 pages per minute. Time for this week's software review. Here is Paul Schindler. Today, we're going to talk about the Brooklyn Bridge. Not the one in New York, but this one. This cable and its associated software. You know, with the arrival and performance of the PS2, as well as the 1 million IBM laptop portables, all of which use 3-inch disks, you may soon need Brooklyn Bridge to move data off your old 5-inch disks. Now, the Brooklyn Bridge is an elegant way to move data from old disks to new. You could do it through the communications port, a file at a time. But the Brooklyn Bridge is 12 times faster and automatic to boot. It operates about as fast as a floppy disk. Now, there isn't much to look at. You add a new device to your configuration file. You select one computer to act as slave, the other as master. On the slave end, you start up the program, then reboot the master. The master gains access to all the disks on the slave. A directory on either machine looks exactly the same. It's as if all the files were on the master. Copy, erase, execute programs. Brooklyn Bridge is $140 from White Crane in Norcross, Georgia. For the Computer Chronicles, I'm Paul Schindler. Microsoft is offering a money-back guarantee on Excel, its spreadsheet program. The company says it hopes to get users to sample Excel at no risk while they're waiting for new versions of Lotus 123. IDG, the international data group publisher of PC World, has finalized its arrangements with the Soviet government and is set to release the first Russian-language version of its computer magazine. Negotiations were concluded recently with a formal signing ceremony in Massachusetts featuring IDG chairman Pat McGovern and several Soviet officials. IDG is hoping to take advantage of the new openness in the USSR and the recent liberalization of U.S. export policies regarding PC sales in Russia. Apple says its Apple Link online service for Apple II users will go into operation sometime this summer. The Apple Link Personal Edition system will feature a full range of online services. Apple says there will be a Mac version of the Apple Link later this year. Tandy is halting production on its Model 200 Portable. The laptops will be closed out at $499. Tandy says it expects its inventory of Model 200s to be sold out by the end of the year. Finally, they say no one wants to major in math these days, but a recent study of the best jobs in the country indicates that the top five rated jobs are all math-related. Out of 250 jobs which were rated, the top five in order were actuary, programmer, systems analyst, mathematician, and statistician. And you can stop your fantasizing being a football player in the NFL, ranked 241st, just above migrant farm worker. That's it for this week's Random Access. We'll see you next time. The Computer Chronicles is made possible in part by CompuServe, featuring an online reference library, Wall Street reports, at-home shopping, airline reservations, games, and hundreds of other services. CompuServe, helping people get the most from computers. Additional funding is provided by McGraw-Hill, publishers of Byte. Byte's detailed technical articles on new hardware, software, and languages cover developments in computer technology worldwide.
Transcripts of the Computer Chronicles are available online on CompuServe. Type Go Chronicles at any CompuServe prompt. If you'd like the CompuServe access number in your area or a free booklet describing how to use online services, call 1-800-848-8199.